0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home podcast. This is episode number 137. I'm Brooke. Very very glad that you are here, Benjamin.
1: Yes, and as am I. Glad that you're here. Glad you're here. Oh,
0: thanks. No
1: worries. <laughs> so, episode 137.
0: 137.
1: Will you share, you're going to share a conversation that you had a little while ago.
0: Yeah, you... I actually recorded this before Christmas. Did you? I did. The miracles
1: of the podcasting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Usually, we're like a week or so out, we're but this bad. was this was you know a good couple of months. But uh, one of my favourite conversations that I, I've had in a long time, actually, I speak with uh, a woman. Thanks named... very much. Oh, you're very welcome, <laughs> uh, Jessica sure. Mernan. So Jessica is uh, she's got a book that is coming out. Well, it's out in the States as of yesterday, I believe. But in Australia, it's currently available for pre-order. We've got all the details over at slowyourhome.com slash 137. But her book is called One Part Plant. And uh, it's, well, it's essentially a plant-based cookbook. But what I love the most about Jessica's story is where she's come from and her why. So she was a few years ago very, very unwell. Uh, we talk about this quite a bit in the conversation, but she was diagnosed with endometriosis. What's that? Um, it's a. I'm going to not do it justice. It's a condition um, of inflammation of the stomach? Uh, no, like the liver? Nope. Kidney? Uterus, I think. All right. Let me just check because I don't want to sound like an idiot. Okay. It's uh, a condition. It's a reproductive condition, essentially, mm-hmm. where the uh, like the tissue that lines the uterus becomes inflamed or grows outside the uterus, I believe. I could be wrong um, or maybe missing a big chunk of information, okay. but it can be an incredibly debilitating mm-hmm. condition and it's quite common. A lot of women suffer from it and they're diagnosed later on they go through years and years and years of suffering through it before it's actually diagnosed what, and they
1: can't eat meat or no no no, I mean, they can so
0: jessica had a like she had a typical she calls it a typical american diet and she basically lived on sour patch kids and diet coke like so i don't know whether that's actually a typical american diet but her point is she did not have a good relationship with food <laughs> so Man, she was, i feel like sour patch kids now she was um, she also ate, ate lean cuisine too, so yeah. okay. uh, just to round it out. But she was like, literally a day or two out from having a hysterectomy because that's one of the ways of treating severe endometriosis. When a friend of hers contacted her and said, here's this thing I want you to try right. before you go in for it. Uh, and it was a plant-based diet. And she tried it quite a few years ago. And still hasn't had the operation because she's turned her health around to a phenomenal point. So that, I mean, that's an amazing story. And as we know, so many people that we talk about on this podcast get to crisis point before they make a change. And that's been Jessica's shift. But what I love about her encouragement to people is you don't have to shift everything to a plant-based diet. She did because she felt so much better when she did eat that way. Um, but she's just encouraging people to have one plant-based meal a day, rather than making a huge shift all at once over to eating like a vegan vegan-style diet. Yeah, and that's something I really like because it opens your mind up to different ways of eating, and uh, you know all the the benefits of eating more vegetables, more plant-based food. Uh, it's not about what you're choosing not to eat; it's about what you're saying yes to, mm. um, which I really like. And it's the like it's so. There's no labels, there's no judgment, there's no anything other than positivity in her approach to food, which I really, Hmm. really admire. Well, it sounds very interesting. I want to
1: ask a whole bunch of questions, but I'm going to spoil the interview.
0: Yeah, please don't do that. All
1: right, so where can people go to find out more information before we get into the interview?
0: So you just head to jessicamernan.com. So it's Jessica. Um, Mernan is a little different to how it sounds, at least with my accent, Hmm. (laughs) M-U-R-N-A-N-E, so it's like Monane, but at JessicaMonane.com. But head over to Slow Your Home if you can't find it, and I'll have all the links to her Instagram, her Twitter, her Facebook and her website, and her beautiful book uh, over on the website.
1: Episode 137, Jessica Monane. Enjoy.
0: jessica how are you good how are you i am very well absolutely lovely to talk to you uh this morning
2: can i tell you this is this interview is going to be hard for me because i actually have like a million questions i want to ask you (laughs) I, i was thinking when we were gonna uh get on this this interview i was thinking can i just does not talk about myself and just ask her questions, but we'll do
0: that on my podcast in a couple months. That sounds that sounds like a good deal. But you can ask me questions; okay. that's fine. I like okay. it when like when I'm having these conversations and people turn turn it back around on me, and I'm always kind of like, oh wow, well, okay, let's do this. Like, let's well, have it, you okay. know. so please do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll first of all want to congratulate you though on your book, One Part Thank Plant. You. It's so exciting and such a. I mean, the message of it is something I can get behind in so many different ways. Like more plant-based eating, absolutely. Uh, But also the like the overarching philosophy of making one change, you know, rather than this overwhelming, oh my god, I have to change everything right now, right now, right now, sort of thing. Which is when I think people discover a new a new way of living or a new thing that really improves things for them, they and I'm guilty of it myself, automatically think that it needs to be like 150% in order to do it right. And I just love that your whole philosophy is, let's just start with one thing and see how we go from there. you know, if we make one change every day, it's going to have a much bigger impact, you know, long-term than, than if we make one massive change, but then kind of burn out from it and backslide, uh, you know, and spend six months trying to get back to where we were. So uh, I just think it's, it's, it's awesome. And um, yeah, massive congratulations. Thank you.
2: I I like that you see it as a, a concept because it's the one thing that I really want with this book is, you know, it's not just a plant-based cookbook, which it is a plant-based cookbook, but I want people to really embrace it as this new thing that they get to experiment and try.
0: Yeah. Ex- I love that you said experiment because you know, that's something that I'm massively passionate about. I think so often we attach the idea of results immediately to a change and whether or not the results of what we expected means that that change is going to be good or bad, you know, or it worked for us or it didn't. Whereas I think experimenting is, its there's like a freedom to it. You know, you just like yes. Let's see what we're yes. doing. Let's see how I feel. Let's change up one meal a day. Let's see how I feel in three months. You know, rather than kind of judging it immediately and saying, "Well, that was a bad, that was bad," or "That was good," uh, and then it becomes this kind of, I don't know. It's almost like a moral sort of thing that we, we <laughs> yes. yeah. And I find it really hard then to extricate ourselves from those judgments and just be in that change? Do you find that people often kind of attach way too much sort of weight and significance to the results too quickly?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I am definitely guilty of doing that, not with food, but with other things mm. that I do. But I think when it comes to food, I think that and, and in my book, I, I try not to use any of these terms. And listen, I'm not judging people that that do these things. But when you decide to say, okay, I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be paleo. I'm going to become this, this there's, I mean, there's a million different diets that you can subscribe to. And when you go and you decide you're going to be paleo, and then you go eat some brown rice, all of a sudden you failed. Yeah. It's like, no, you didn't fail. You just ate brown rice, <laughs> you know? It's So I think that I, I really love this idea of we're talking about, about experimenting and seeing what works for you. And even with my philosophy of one part plant, which is eating one plant based meal a day, you know, maybe there's some vegetables that don't make you feel that awesome. Like, for instance, like chickpeas, I feel very bloated when I eat chickpeas. So I don't really eat them. So I think it's, you know, it's playing around and seeing what works for you and just giving yourself room to Figure out what's best. Mm. You know, I feel like if you think about what if you dated someone and on the first, the very first date you ever went on, first boyfriend you have, you didn't marry that person. Is that like a failure? It's like (laughs) no. Like you kind of had to find the right person for you to marry. So I think it's the same thing with food. It's you know, I think you have to figure out what works best for you. And I think with all of these types of diets, I think that the one thing that we can't argue with is that more plants, more whole foods are going to be great for us. And then experiment to see which ones are the best for you.
0: Exactly. And I think that you just hit on something really important. We get really caught up in labels. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of labeling in any regard because I think what happens is we then try and measure ourselves up against what the like the epitome of that label is. Like I say it a lot mm-hmm. with minimalism. You know, people uh, they adopt the idea of minimalism because it's like it's a fantastic shift to make. They understand that they're going to feel lighter and you know there's a whole heap of benefits that they start to experience in being more minimalist but then they hold themselves up to this like this hybrid version of what the ideal minimalist looks like which is made up of you know 15 different bloggers and all these authors and all these people who you know spout minimalism on on tv and stuff and like that's not a real person or a real thing but we still hold ourselves up to this like epitome of minimalism and you know i think that that is so it can be really damaging, I think, first of all, and say that like, whatever change you make is not good enough. But it also means we kind of judge ourselves and hold ourselves up to this this standard that actually doesn't exist, which sort of negates all the positive changes that, that we've made up to that point already. And I see the same thing with food choices. You know, I don't think anyone could argue that eating more plants, you know, and more whole foods is is a positive. Like, you don't have to label it anything. That's just you know, quite, quite obvious to to the vast majority of people. So I think that that really appeals to me as well, that, you know, experimentation and let's not label it heavily and just see, see what works, see what feels.
2: Yeah. And, and I think what you said that it is obvious to people, but it still can be super hard to do. Yeah, You, You know, it's, it's obvious that yes, eating more vegetables and fruits and good stuff is good, but that's really hard for a lot of people to do. I mean, it was very hard for me to do in the beginning. And that's why I don't want people to feel that, okay, starting tomorrow, you have to only eat that. Because, I mean, that's terrifying if you've never done it before. It's the same thing with the minimalism approach. It's like, you know, getting rid of every single possession that you have. It's like, that's really scary to some people. And then if you bring in some, trinket that doesn't you know that's kind of like you know and I also think you know when you were just talking about seeing you were talking about those bloggers and these these people that are minimalist it's like you're seeing them on the best day too you know you're Absolutely. seeing their house photographed styled you know all their cords are showing or they're photoshopped out like you don't see that sometimes they might have a whole bunch of magazines laying around or stacked up dishes in the sink you know I, I just I don't know, we just get a little too caught up in these ideas of what things are, but everyone's messy sometimes. Absolutely. You know?
0: Absolutely. And like you say, like, let's not moralize brown rice. It's okay. It's just brown right. rice. You know? <laughs> yes. It's just a souvenir teaspoon. It's okay. Like, <laughs> you're going to be all right. I promise. So um, have you always been someone who's like, I mean, I'm assuming that given the fact that you said changing was hard, have you always been focused on food? Like, were you always interested in, you know, eating nutrient-dense kind of food? Have you been
2: plant-based? Okay. What did that change? I mean, that was a brutal crying in the kitchen change. Um, not a nice person to be around change. And, you know, I, I changed my diet because I have something called endometriosis and it's women have that. And it's where essentially the similar tissue that grows in the lining of your uterus grows onto the outside of your body. And one in 10 women have it. A lot of women don't have any idea that they have it Mm. because it's actually, you know, it takes women over 10 years to even get diagnosed with it. Um, and I had, I finally was diagnosed with it actually after 10 years and you know, I had multiple surgeries and it just got progressively worse and worse and worse to the point where I wasn't able to make it out of bed most mornings. And so my doctor told me that she felt like the only solution for me was to go on hormone therapy, which had terrible side effects or get a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to get a hysterectomy because I felt like now that I know more about endometriosis, I know that a hysterectomy doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be in pain, but that's the way that she described it to me. Um, and that's what I believed. And so a friend of mine was actually staying with me from L.A. And, you know, I, I, I put on a really good face when I was out with friends. I didn't let people know that I was in as much pain as I was. And, you know, she was over at my house and she saw the pain that I was in and like, I had to prop myself up holding a table and she left, um, visit and she went home and she started doing research on what I had. And this is, you know, five years ago, almost six years ago. And she found this website about how a plant-based diet could help endometriosis. And she sent it to me and she's like, could you try this? I was like, like, I don't (laughs) want to try this at all. Uh, And if this actually does work, why is my doctor not telling me about it? And um, I tried it and it worked and I didn't have to get the hysterectomy. And I mean, my life is completely different now. I'm, I'm not in the pain that I'm in. I don't have the same symptoms I used to have. And changing that changing to that diet was when I talk about why it was hard, it wasn't because, okay, you know, you have to make a change because I'm willing to make changes all the time. I work really hard on making changes to to be successful in my business. And, but this was, I didn't know how to cook. I had never eaten vegetables before. So this was not just you know, change your analytics for your (laughs) SEO. I mean, this was change everything that you know. And it was very hard for me to do. And it took I would say, you know, I I saw results from eating this type of diet very quickly within weeks. But I don't think that I actually accepted it and embraced it for six months a year.
0: And was that kind of that six months, a year sort of period when you started to really feel long lasting benefits, you know? um,
2: No, it was just, I was already feeling the benefits, but it, it took me a while to really accept that, no, I'm not going to go out to a bar and have pizza and beers with my friends. Right. Or like, no, I'm not going to eat all of my favorite foods at Thanksgiving. And at the time, you know, I also didn't really, I was still learning how to cook. So it it was when I started to learn how to cook and also learned how to make my favorite foods in ways that I could eat them, that that's when I started thinking, okay, well, this isn't so bad. And, you know, it's also a choice, right? Like I could eat pizza and beers with my friends the way that I used to. But then that also means that I'm in bed in pain. And, and you have to get to a point where you're like, what's more important, you being a brat about not eating cheese or being able to walk around and have fun with your family? And I think
0: when you get to that point where you recognize like the massive benefits of that change and you're able to say to yourself, yeah, like that's really fun. And I kind of miss part of that, but this is where it's at. Like, this is why I've done it. And this is why, you know, the, like, the annoying factor is, is kind of less than the benefit now. I think when you kind of get yeah. to that point. But that's, it's, it's not easy, you know, and making those changes, particularly when you, like for you, it was your health and you had this very real impact any time that you went back to the way that you were eating, like it would have it would have had a huge impact on you health wise, which then has this huge flow on effect to every other area of your life. You know, that's a big a big kind of risk to take just for pizza and beer. Uh, yeah, it's but I mean that's one of the, the things about change. It's really changing your mind as well and, and learning to, to navigate that, I guess. Did you have any strategies for for dealing with that, that kind of internal voice going, oh man, come on, can can I just have some pizza? Can I just have some cheese? Like, how did you, I don't know, how did you deal with that?
2: I mean, I was just sort of, I don't know if you're allowed to say bad words on your podcast, but I was sort of just a bitch for a while, (laughs) you know, I, I, but, but, you know, I slow, like, like I said, like, this is also a while ago when I don't feel like there was as many options available food wise. Of course. And I also didn't know how to cook like I didn't know that you could blend cashews and make cream out of them mm. like if I would have known that during the first few months of this change I wouldn't have been as upset as I was because I would have felt like I could still enjoy food it, it was that I felt like I was very deprived from things that I loved and enjoyed and you know and there's a lot of tradition around food, you celebrate with it, you mourn with it, you, you know, it's comfort. So I felt like I I felt like this disease was was taking away the food that I loved. But I think in terms of strategies, I have now I don't need them, because now I can't even imagine eating that way. Like it kind of like the other day, I saw this giant cupcake at the store and I told my husband, I can't believe I'm gonna say this out loud, but that cupcake looks kind of gross to me. <laughs> Which is like, well, are you an alien? Um but but when I look at it now I don't see cupcake. I see that won't make me feel good. Yeah. And and you know that took a long time but I think strategies were just in the beginning were just okay you love that food. Now figure out how to make that in a way that you can eat it. Mm.
0: And was that kind of the empowering shift for you, like being able to to figure out how you can eat things that you really enjoy that aren't going to make you feel
2: horrible? Was that sort of a... For a- sure. Yeah. I mean, that was the that was the most empowering part because with most things that I do, I don't want to rely on anyone else to fix it for mm. me. When it comes to my business and it comes to just anything I do, it's I want to figure out how to do it myself. And so, first of all, there weren't really a lot of options out there to eat at this time. But second, I didn't want to depend on someone else to, you know, when I want to eat, I want to eat, I don't want to like have to research, you know, for two hours to try to find some blog that knows how to make lasagna that I can eat, like, I want to just figure it out myself. So yeah, I think, when I figured out how to cook and eat foods that I love, I felt so empowered. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way, but you're so right. That's when I that's when the true shift I think started to happen.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like you you changed your your diet quite, you know, quickly because your friend had suggested it and you were sort of at your wits end. This was your last option before surgery. So the change might have come quickly, but like the the shift might've come more slowly as you, you know, you built that, I don't know, those strategies and, and the way of, of cooking that was going to, to allow you to live the way that you wanted. Um, what was the first thing that you made yourself that you're like, wow, I didn't realize I could, I could do that. Or I didn't realize I could.
2: It's funny. I actually reference this like three times in my book, I made, you're going to be like, wow, way to go girl. But it was, um, it was actually, I made a salsa taco. (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had gone to the store and I don't, they, I don't think they have whole foods where you live, but in the United States they have whole foods and they have this salsa there. And I looked at all the ingredients on the salsa. I'm like, I feel like I could figure out how to make that. And so I made a homemade salsa. I felt so proud of myself. I put it on some tortillas. And I remember I took a picture of it and sent it to my friend. And I was like, look what I made. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even like a real meal. That's just like a, a weird snack that a 10-year-old would make. But I felt so proud that i made salsa i'd feel proud on my you. own you without a proud. recipe <laughs> you should own it and that. then yeah and so then it you know went from there but yeah i mean i remember when i got you know i started my website with recipes and even when i got my cookbook deal i i remember i told friend one of my friends that i got a book deal and she said what is it about I'm like, it's a cookbook. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I cook now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. So it was a it was a big, big change on like way, way different levels.
0: I think I love that. And I know there's lots of people listening who would be kind of in a similar situation and they want to make changes, but they're, they're Sort of a bit freaked out by the by what that actually looks like and how that differs to their set of skills now. So I think that's really cool yeah. to hear that that was a big like a big moment of you know transition for you. <laughs> <What? laughs> Salsa tacos all the way. Um, do, what was the like push? Did you get any pushback or any kind of were there any challenges or obstacles from other people when you were making these changes?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely. I I feel like my guess, and you can say yes to this or no, but I kind of feel like you're probably someone that surrounds themselves with positive people. Mm. Oh yeah, and and I kind of kick the toxic people to the curb. I mean, I don't actually do it; I just kind of like stop asking them to hang out, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> um, I feel like you're kind of that same way, right? Yeah, very similar. Okay, so I definitely surround myself with people that didn't don't really. I guess aren't I don't know. Don't question those things, but I do think that there were a lot of people. I would say not a lot, but some people in my life that felt like maybe it was kind of extreme, Mm -hmm. and 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 I do think it it probably did seem pretty extreme from from the outside. Some of my friends and you know, I, I also think that with my family, my family embraced it pretty quickly. But I do think that maybe the first Christmas or Thanksgiving or something that was sort of like, well, what are we supposed to serve you then? Mm. You know, and, and I think that, again, I, I think this also comes from the fact that you're not allergic to it, you're choosing to not eat something. And I think people also look at it as sometimes a diet. So they're thinking, well, it's Thanksgiving, just go crazy, (laughs) just have the just have, yeah, treat yourself. And it's like, well, it's not actually about treating myself, Mm -hmm. it's about eating something. So I'm not in pain, which is very, very different. And so I I think the pushback just came from people not understanding that, you know, I'm not trying to lose weight by not eating dairy. I'm trying to be able to sit up at the dining table. And I also think, you know, I am the type of person that I never pushed this. I mean, I, I wrote a whole cookbook about it, so I'm kind of pushing it to the world. But in in my circle of friends, I never made it a big deal. Like I would, if we're go, if we were going out to dinner, I would choose a restaurant that was the same exact restaurant that we always ate at, but it's a restaurant I knew I could get something. Yeah. So, I think because I never made it a thing or an issue, they couldn't really push back all that much.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I have a kind of similar motto with any change that I make in life that's about me, and it's a choice, you know, and I fully accept that it's a choice and it's not necessarily something that everyone's going to get or get on board with, which is completely fine because they don't have to. And my motto is, like, don't be a dick about it. (laughs) Exactly, you know exactly. and because and like most people aren't, but when it's like a I don't know, we, we make a change and it's a really beneficial change for us, and we are absolutely passionate about it, but it's kind of part of being an adult to understand that not everyone's going to get it or never not everyone's going to care, and they don't have to, you know, um and I think particularly and it is tricky, I guess the more we see people starting to choose to eat differently to what you know like the mainstream standard kind of like American or Australian might eat people are like well are you allergic to to wheat like what's the issue here are you going to get sick?" you know and I think dealing with choice and how to I don't know how to make that a valid a valid thing as well is really interesting because we're seeing a rise in vegetarianism and veganism and you know like all different kinds of way like paleo and raw and I think People who maybe haven't been exposed to it, it's it's difficult to kind of recognize that that's a choice, but it's still valid. And like, then the person's not going to change just because it's Christmas Day. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah, that's, yeah. It's it's interesting. Uh, and I think I think though, the more people talk about it, the the less scary it seems to others as well, and the less the less we have to worry about it. But
2: and if you just make really delicious food <laughs> then no one and can just. <laughs> No one's going to care and you just don't announce that it's, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever, and you just mix it in with the rest of the food. No one cares. Exactly. As long as you're eating (laughs) it too, like people do feel sometimes I think a little bit like you're judging their diet if you eat different than them or if they're serving food and you're not eating it, you're judging their food. It's like as long as you've got food on your plate, people don't care.
0: That's it. That's it. And I think that's the other thing. We know, like, for us, it's a big change uh, to make, be it food or lifestyle or health or whatever. For us, in our heads, in our lives, it's it's massive. But everyone else is, has their own stuff going on. So as long as you're eating, as long as there's food, as long as, like, people are happy, then most people, not in a callous way, but they just don't care. You know, they're yeah. fine, fine. They're good. Yeah, I think that's, that's really a really good, helpful point to make, though. Yeah, now, has it apart from your health, obviously, have making these changes impacted other areas of your life, like your work, your home, your confidence? Oh my gosh.
2: Yes. I have, I would say for most of my life, I mean, as soon as I was able to recognize food in my body, I always had really, really, really bad, a bad relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And I would wake up every morning and think okay what did i eat last night okay okay that i suck like i'm a i'm a bad person or like okay well then if i eat that last night then that means that i really have to work hard today to and so i started out every single morning judging my worth based on what i had eaten the night before and If you've never had food issues before, you're probably thinking that sounds psychotic. But if you have had food issues, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. I do that. (laughs) It just is like this normal thing. And since I've changed my diet, I mean, obviously not having physical pain anymore has been great. But I will say that I think tied with that, the single most amazing thing is that I don't wake up anymore and think about what I ate the night Mm -hmm. before. Because I just now feel this freedom with food because I know what I'm putting in myself is good and I don't have to judge myself anymore. And, you know, sometimes you can take that a little too far and, like, you're not maybe supposed to eat an entire tray of, you know, almond butter maple syrup balls uh, (laughs) because it's still almond butter and maple (laughs) syrup. But to not... Judge myself anymore is oh my god! I can't even tell you how good that feels. Must be so like liberating just to yes, it's goodbye. liberating. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think yeah, you can. And you know, I think I'll always no, I won't always. I'm working on. I I do still have some body issue stuff, but you know, if you've had that for twenty plus years, it takes a little while to to Absolutely. work through it. So, but the the food stuff that freedom is just like whoa, that's awesome. That is like it's, yeah.
0: it's so. I, don't, I just love your enthusiasm and your passion. <laughs> I could hear you light up when you were talking about Aww. it. Just then. <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: I great. try not to cry. I really almost cried when I was talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I've
0: been crying a lot on the podcast lately, so it is. Oh, okay. good. good. <laughs> this is a tear-friendly zone. <laughs> so you've had a a, a big. Year or two. I mean, you and your family moved from Chicago. You were saying to me earlier uh, about a year ago to mm-hmm. Charleston. Can yeah. You, what? What prompted that move?
2: Yeah, we we had lived. Uh, my husband and I had lived in Chicago for I think he actually lived there fifteen years, and I think I lived there sixteen years because I graduated a, a year apart and. It just, I, Chicago is probably one of the greatest cities in the, in the whole world. It just got to the point where we had brought home a son and the weather there is just really, really cold, you know, negative 20 some days with wind chill, And there were a lot of days where we couldn't go outside and our family was far away. And I knew that I had this book coming too, and I knew that I was gonna have to do a book tour and I just felt like I think we needed help mm. too. Like I wanted to be and it's so weird because whenever people said like we moved closer to our family, I would think, why did you do that? Like I <laughs> like I wanna live like on an island away from everyone. But I understood that after we had our son because I still like doing my own thing <laughs> and it's and it and I really love my work so much. And I felt like my whole life I was trying to figure out what my career was supposed to be. I had so many different things I did and all seemed really cool on paper, but it wasn't until I did this that I was like, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I'm like, I want, I want to be able to do this and I think we need help. And Mm so the combination of that and the weather and Chicago becoming increasingly just the crime rate was just insane. We were just like, I think it's time to go. So it was, it was a really hard decision, but I think that I haven't, we haven't regretted it at all. And, you know, my husband's work, um, let him work remotely and he still travels a lot for his work, but it just, it feels good to have a new home base that is a little different.
0: Yeah. And it's so Charleston is, is it's got a slower kind of pace to Chicago.
2: Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I don't know. It's, I kind of think of it as kind of the California of the South because it has palm trees and beaches and it's actually very trendy right now to so move to Charleston. Just want to also point that out. <laughs> we moved here like right as the trend was happening like last this 2016 travel and leisure rated Charleston, not just the best city in the U S but the best city in the world. Wow! So it's definitely since we've been here in a year, it has changed to us dramatically. And then the friends that I have that live here that are like, you don't even understand what this place used to be five years ago. But I actually think I couldn't have lived here five years ago. Like I need it to feel somewhat city yeah. Like as, yeah, it's like as much as like, I totally respect what you guys do. But I like, I need to be able to walk out my door and know that I'm going to run into a place that sells something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, like I, it's something. No, I, just anything, anyone, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get that. It's really interesting. Ben and I have been talking about like our, you know, our future plans for the next few years and we're both kind of. More open to the idea, and, and because, because I think part of it is convenience, and part of it is connection of living mm-hmm. in kind of a more urban area, because you do have that that kind of concentration of stores and and people, and uh, you know you can walk outside and go and get what you need, you know. Whereas everything, when you're a little bit more remote, and I mean we've got a we've got a, like a village right nearby, but it's lacking that bigger city kind of convenience factor. So there's absolutely, I think, massive benefits to to living in a place that's more in alignment with where you're at in life at the moment, but also has that kind of concentration of what you need and what you want, which sounds like you guys have found.
2: Yeah, it's it's the perfect combination. And, you know, I, I also had got a bike here and you know we didn't have a car in Chicago for the the whole time that we lived there so we had to buy a car to move here and I try to drive it the least amount as possible like I you know I'll ride my bike to FedEx instead of driving to FedEx and I don't know do you have FedEx and where are you probably it's like yeah. you know yeah. it's like a mailing place yeah I, yeah you have FedEx it's like a world thing <laughs> I just didn't know if you had like an actual FedEx kinko shop but um But no, there's – yeah, I just – it's kind of finding, like you said, that happy medium where I don't necessarily want to live in L.A. anymore, which I thought I did. But I also don't think that as much as I think I could live in a hut in Mexico, which is like my dream, like could I really – I don't know.
0: (laughs) There's a big difference, isn't there, between like – Thinking about that that dream, because my dream is, you know, living in a cabin in like the woods somewhere and <laughs> not right. seeing anyone ever
2: go full Which thore. is cool, yeah. but I still want to be able to go out and buy brown rice. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm bringing it back to brown rice. <laughs> it's always about, about brown rice, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> There's an overarching theme of today's episode,
0: the brown rice. Uh, yeah, I know, but then the reality of it is, how would I actually go without that connection and without that, you know, that some level of convenience as well. It's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting, and I think it's really helpful though, because otherwise we spend a lot of time and energy caught up in this dream, you know, this dream of a cabin mm-hmm. in Mexico, this dream of a cabin in the woods uh, and, and when the reality is that it wouldn't be a great fit for us. So I think kind of approaching that, really mindfully and intentionally and with some kind of self-awareness is, is really helpful because otherwise we spend so much time in this future dreamland that we don't actually pay attention to what's in front of us.
2: No, for sure. And, you know, just this week, I I told you that, um, before the interview started, I told you that my son is with his grandparents Mm. all week. And last week I thought, Oh man, if I was just alone every day, I would totally meditate every day at 6am. I guess what I have not done at 6am. <laughs> like, even though he's not here, like, so sometimes I think the things that you think are the obstacles in your life aren't,
0: mm. it's
2: actually, you're the obstacle. Like, I can't blame my baby for not meditating at 6am, when really, I could do it at 8am when he leaves for school and I still haven't done it at 8am. So I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, you know, it's like that hut in Mexico. It's like, I would totally meditate every day. It's like, no, you probably wouldn't like (laughs) just because you're not doing it now. So it's, yeah, it's like figuring out that block that has nothing to do with where you're living or what your clothes are or whatever.
0: That's it. And I think it's, it's easier and more comfortable to blame it on something else rather than our own yeah. you know. Like, I'll get up and write at four thirty in the morning and then four thirty comes around and your alarm goes off and you find yourself in bed on your phone for an hour and a half, you
2: know. Right.
0: But it's like there's obviously another reason. It couldn't possibly be the fact that I'm the one with, you know, the phone in my hand. I'm the one who's right. dragging my feet. It's uh but I you know, I think understanding that, at least for me, and like learning to understand that and take responsibility for those choices has been huge in shifting things you know in in ways that i never thought i was capable of but Mm -hmm. i think one of the reasons that we we drag our feet is because it's so uncomfortable you know it's really uncomfortable to acknowledge the fact that the reason we haven't made some of the changes is because we haven't made some of the changes
2: um yeah yeah and also sometimes (laughs) like this week I need to recognize how far I've actually come exactly. because so what that I didn't meditate yesterday, because guess what? At least I know what meditation is now. Yeah. Like I didn't even know, what, like, I didn't know how to meditate five years ago. And so I need to even recognize the fact that I do meditate, even if it's not every day. Exactly.
0: I, yeah, and you know, that is such an important, is such an important point because you know you've you've made all of these massive changes in your life over the past five years. It's so easy to 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 continue to look forward and see this like blurry like non-destination, you know we're just constantly moving forward, constantly expecting more of ourselves when we we forget to look back and see what life was like five years ago. And I think mm-hmm. that's where this idea of your your philosophy, your one-part philosophy, is so beautiful and powerful. Because it's not, you're not saying like, you jump from A to Z overnight, and that's mm-hmm. you know the way, that's the best way to, to make changes. It's kind of committing to making one change and then making it, and seeing where that leads and seeing where that leads. And I know personally, that's, that's the only way I've ever made lasting change is to do it slowly. You know you can, make, you, you can make the realization, you can recognize the issue, you can like, name it even overnight. But like the the change, like daily, long lasting, you know, life changing change, just is it just happens every day,
2: uh, if that yes. makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it definitely
0: does. The other thing that we were talking about before we hit record, and we stopped ourselves because it was such a good, <laughs> such a good sort of thread of the conversation, is this idea of trends, and it's something that you touched on before. You kind of were saying that that in terms of plant based eating, there wasn't. A lot of options a few years ago and now as we've seen the increase in plant-based diets and a lot of people talking about it and the benefits of it the options are becoming more plentiful and also people talking about it and educating others about it has has become kind of almost mainstream but and i've found the the same thing with with slow living they're having this sort of moment of like trendiness and Mm -hmm. You and I both agree that, you know, the way the, the movements that we're both kind of behind, the changes that we're behind, they're not trends. You know, they're, they're as cliche as it sounds, lifestyle changes. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think it's fantastic the more people talk about these kind of movements and the more people are exposed to the benefits of them. But how do you feel when you see it kind of becoming this sort of bastardized version based on trends? you know, uh, where it sort of starts to shift away from the simplicity of what it actually is to eat a plant based diet, for
2: example. I guess I see it as the work that I'm doing. And and maybe you agree with this, the work that you're doing. It's so important to me that I think, in some ways, the more the merrier. And I also think that, it's actually as much as as much as what both of us are doing. Actually, when you think about it, is a trend. It's actually not a trend. It's we're actually going back in time. Mm-hmm. Like the, people used to not have a whole bunch of shit in their house. Yeah. People used to eat fruits and vegetables all the time. They used to eat whole foods. So I think that it's almost like we're as less as it's less about being a trend i guess is i think we're recycling the past in like a new way if mm. that makes sense yeah and and so i don't know i i i think that there are a ton of trends out there in terms of diet and in terms of like life hacks and the way to live your life but i think that the way that you and i are both presenting it are just sort of this here's my story here's what worked for me And I think we're presenting it in a way that people can connect with a person too. I think there's a lot of like fads and trends and diets where it's this concept and you buy into it or you don't and it works or it doesn't, but there's no real connection to someone that's behind it Mm. or a community of people too. And I think when you have a community of people it's not that much of a trend because people actually really care about it.
0: That's really true. And it's, it stops being disposable and just starts being the way that people live, you know? And I, yeah.
2: Yeah. Like it's like, like you look at the whole CrossFit movement and people knock that and say, Oh, it's just like a trend. It's like, well, not to the people that are doing it. I mean, there's a lot of people that are probably going to do that for the rest of their lives because Mm -hmm. it makes them feel amazing and they have this community and they met all these people from it. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. I think I think there's some things that might seem trendy, but the things that are really true and I think truly make people better, those are just gonna surpass the idea of trends. I mean, I was actually just listening to there's this new podcast called Making Oprah. And it's the podcast is just about Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and um <laughs> it's three episodes in there in the late nineties right now. And they're talking about how she decided to bring more spirituality to her show. And at the time people were super confused and then it kind of became trendy. Think about spirituality now. Like that's not a trend. Like that's how people are getting through the day and like looking at their lives differently. So I don't care if this is a trend. No, I'm, I, I'm gonna like keep. It's like the Charleston being a trend. It's awesome. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that's the, that's you've just kind of nailed it. It's it only becomes
0: a tr- like it becomes a trend when people who don't get it kind of read about it in a magazine or they start hashtagging it, uh, mm-hmm. but they don't actually necessarily get it, like they don't necessarily live it and haven't lived it for years and won't continue to live it once it stops being trendy, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. for the people like yourself, like myself, like Oprah, (laughs) I never thought I'd say that. Oh, thanks for comparing us to Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Uh, You know, it. it, it, that was never a trend. And I think it's only when maybe mainstream media or social media now kind of jump on board for five minutes that it looks like a trend. But I think, as you say, for the people who are crossfitters, that's not a trend for them, you know, that might have been how some of them discovered it, but it stops being a trend when you start actually really living it and believing in it. And I think the only challenge for me is to learn how to differentiate that without sounding like a jerk when people Mm -hmm. talk to me about it, because people are, you know, often, and I often make fun of it as well, like of hashtag slow living. It doesn't actually look like that. That's not what it really is about. It's not about, you know, kind of neutrals and lots of greenery and you know wandering through the woods like that's not living. (laughs) but if you look at instagram it kind of that's what people think it is and then people who don't necessarily understand the depth of it will will kind of see that and go well that just looks like a little bit you know shallow uh and i'm like but it's not but if you if you're really interested let's go a little bit deeper and figure out why so i think for me the challenge is how to and I guess the answer probably is to not care so much, but how to, um, you know, present it in a way that isn't that, you know, that, that kind of, shame. yeah, for
2: sure. But I, but I think exactly what you said, it's just the people that are going to get it are going to get it. Mm. And I, I mean, listen, I totally understand what you're saying because, you know, there's three or four other plant-based books that are coming out at the same time as mine. And it's weird. I don't, feel competitive with them. I mean, mainly because most of them are friend are my friends, but I just feel like, all right, well, someone's going to latch on to, to more of Laura's idea because she's more of a chef and she's approaching it in in more chefy way. And someone might like my stuff because I'm more of a home cook. So I just think that, um, there's a lot, there's a big audience out there for everyone, but I do think that, you know, if if people started putting, you know, weird photos out there the same way that you're talking about the slow living thing and making plant-based into this, like, weird glamour thing, I'm just like, eh, hmm. really? Like, it's kind of just about, like, eating good food. <laughs> so I get that. But, yeah, I just kind of – I guess I put my blinders on a I little think, bit. Yeah,
0: I think that's a good way – a good way of doing it and just going about it. Because as you said before, people connect – to watching other people live these changes, you know, no one's going to remember the way a hashtag affected their lives, but they might remember the way (laughs) that a person affected their
2: life. Yeah. And it's about building that community. It's, you know, I don't want to be the face of these things. I want to like be with everyone else doing this.
0: Yeah. And I think people respond so beautifully to that when you're there learning at the same time and being open and honest in your learning and in, you know, the ways that you struggled with it and in the things that you found challenging or uplifting or exciting or, you know, negative as well. And I think the more honest, I guess we are, as we make those shifts, the more other people feel like, Hey, this is something I can do. You know, this is something that's like open to me and it's accessible to me.
2: Yeah. And I didn't invent broccoli. People. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's you? like, I didn't invent this plant-based thing. Like, you know, like I said, this has been happening forever. I'm just presenting it in a new way.
0: Exactly. I think you're doing a, just an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, I Thank just you. love how accessible uh, it is to people. You know, no one could look at what you talk about and write about, speak about and, and say, that's like, that's terrifying. Cause it's not, you've got this really beautiful way of making it just open and I don't know. It seems generous. It's like a generous way of living rather than a restrictive way of living. And I think yes. um, that's something that a lot of people will benefit from. So I'd highly recommend everyone going out and grabbing a copy of your book. Uh, the best place actually to find you is is at jessicamernand.com.
2: Yes. Great. And for Australia, because you're, you're in Australia, right? I am. Okay. So for UK and Australia people, I know the book will be out in March. Awesome. but in the U S it's in February. So
0: great. Well, I will include links to, uh, show notes uh, in, in the show notes. I'll include links to your website and then also I'll update it once uh, the book comes out. Cool. Thank in you. Australia and, uh, yeah. And the UK, but congratulations again. And thank you so much for talking to
2: me. This was such a, a fun conversation. I know. I, I was thinking I liked this podcast. I've been, I'm not going to diss other ones I've done, but I really like this one a lot.
0: <laughs> I'm glad me too. <laughs>
2: And can you teach me how to add an extra R to ideas in <laughs> Australia? I really I've tried to mimic that, and I can't figure out how to do it. Ideas, de- <laughs> ideas, ideas. <laughs> because when you guys when you guys say, you guys kind of add like an R. Yeah, we add like we add weird, just extra vowels. So like, stuff. what is that? So like, you kind of like in your mind, you're kind of adding like an R. No, no. Ideas. <laughs> <No>. I've always <laughs> wanted to figure out how to say
0: this. I'm not kidding. I believe you. Um, so how would you say it? Uh, I, I, ideas. Ideas. See, to me, that sounds like there's a an extra A in there or something. Okay. Uh, yeah. So
2: you say it. Ideas. Ideas. <laughs> yeah, there. There you go. Because it's okay. So there's kind it's of kind like of a flat. little R. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah um you know austral australia
0: australia <laughs> australia
2: yeah yeah okay
0: great. <laughs> Jack Rabbit fm for your ears who is that hi puck pass